Live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios in Knoxville, it's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Here are your hosts, John Reed and Bob Baskerville. Back in the booth, back on the airwaves, coming at you live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. It is the morning show. Good morning to you on this Monday, January 29th. John Reed, Bob Baskerville, Sam Beard. As we recap the weekend, get a look ahead to the week that is. Hope you're well. Bob, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good. A uh, little teeny bit tired. Really? Morning. Yeah, a little bit. Oh, a little no. bit. Just uh, there was a lot yesterday, you know. I mean, did the Sunday show with Clone earlier, and then you know, and then we had football all day, and you didn't really want to miss any of that. So, uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Just uh, I had a good night's sleep on Saturday night too, so that was good. How about you? Still sleep? No, I, I felt good. I wake up now and I'm refreshed. And there's still a little bit of that dread. Still a little bit of that dread and like, oh, man, this is my life now. Every day. There is a little bit of that. But no, I feel chipper. I feel rested. Still struggling to actually fall asleep. You know, still after midnight. The last time I looked at the clock, it was like 1220. I was like, oh, my God. But then, you know, wake up, good to go. Feels like school night, doesn't it? That, that is a good description, especially for me, who never had to, a super serious job except for, like, you know, maybe six months. It does feel like uh, school. Maybe that's the best way to describe it. you got to wake up and go to school. Sam, how are you? Someone who has to wake up and I was going to gonna say, i got to wake up and do radio and school. <laughs> um, I'm feeling... I'm feeling good this morning, honestly. I was... I, I walked in this morning. I was talking to John. I told him, you know, I had a, had a nice morning. Woke up fresh and went to bed right after those football games ended last night and woke up ready to hit the ground running at like 5 15 this morning so i'm feeling pretty solid just you bob who i thought would be oh, I'm, the first to acclimate <laughs> i'm all right i'm just saying that uh it was uh, the way i knew it was i got up like an hour before i was supposed to get up and i was like ah, i'm gonna go back to sleep and and a lot of times that's a struggle mm-hmm. but this time man i was out and next thing I knew, alarm went off. So, yeah, I'm good. I just. Did you have a good weekend? I had a great weekend. Um, I didn't do a lot, but that was kind of nice. You know, I mean, uh, it felt like even though last weekend I didn't do a lot either because of the weather, but this felt better. Like you could go out and run some errands and not worried about, you know, your car sliding into something and you know, all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, watch a lot of college basketball on Saturday. Um, had dinner with some friends on Saturday evening. Um, it was nice. It was kind of low key and I, I, I'm all for that sometimes. Sam, what about you? First weekend back, at least with uh, school being in session. I feel like that was always kind of a crazy weekend whenever I was younger. What about you? Did you do anything fun? Uh, a little bit. Honestly, it, it, this weekend for normally how kind of big of a, you know, everyone back on campus and, and back together, it's kind of a big weekend. 
but I don't think there was a, a huge buzz kind of around campus and everything like that. My buddies and I did some some things Friday night, and then uh, you know watched the watched some basketball and, and watched football obviously yesterday. But I kind of took it easy. I've, I feel like these early mornings have made my weekends a little bit a little bit more low key and a little bit more restful. <laughs> I actually spent for re- recuperating and recharging the batteries. Yeah. Got it. Yep. Yeah, I didn't have anything big going on. I guess Saturday went and played some top golf. Shout out to our boy Chance, who used to work here at the station. I don't golf though. How'd you play? I didn't do it. Oh, you didn't do any at all? No, I didn't do it. So I didn't waste my time because you only get six to the bay. We had nine people and like a couple were hanging out. And I was I was doing like a listener event through like my podcast, so like I had to you know get some bays and um. Then on ours, yeah, it was not room, which was fine with me because I didn't want to go out there and shank a couple and just get mad. That was, was fun just to enjoy some White Claws and, and watch Tennessee Vanderbilt and then then rush home afterwards to, to, to watch the Royal Rumble. But, yeah, Saturday I was pretty laid back. Then, yeah, Sunday morning uh, rewatched the Tennessee Vanderbilt game and then set up and watched some football and watched some King of Queens and – and ate a pub sub, so it was a good Sunday nice. for me at least. Yeah, was the Royal Rumble? Did it live up to expectations for you? Uh, I only watched the back end. Well, I got to be honest, I fell asleep. Oh, uh, wow. I fell asleep on so no. Saturday, <laughs> right uh, before the men started. I woke up right when it ended, as the winner was the fireworks are going off and they were doing their whole thing. So I rewatched that on Saturday as well after the Vanderbilt game, as I enjoyed my pub sub. So it was still a great Sunday for me. But uh, the women, the women stole the show, is what everyone is saying. So. I had texted you two, wow, two Knoxville girls in the ring at the same time with like 15 left, and you're like, please quit texting me, it's Saturday. <laughs> we don't care. Who was the, uh, okay, again, calling it right here, I, I know very little about WWE. But, but you said you were watching? I watched a little. Um, who's the platinum blonde gal? The, the the black girl that's yeah. I guess it's platinum silver yeah, yeah I guess not that's really true. blonde yeah, yeah. Okay. well maybe that is called platinum blonde I don't know but uh, she is new she is new she uh, got signed from the rival company as they kind of big boyed them and stole one of their talent and they'd kept her off TV the last three months or so four months as she prepared so it was kind of her debut she looks like a million bucks though yeah I mean, she, she's one of the breakout stars of the weekend and she had the moment where she was there you know standing eye to eye with. Knoxville's own Bianca Belair, yeah, VFL. So that was one of the big moments. So that that was cool. That was a big viral moment. And then yeah, and the men, there, nothing really kind of recreated that magic. And is she? Uh, I was doing a little digging because I saw you mentioned something about her being what married to your favorite baseball player. One of my favorite baseball Brandon players, Phillips. yeah. Yeah, I loved Brandon Phillips growing up, and yeah, he uh, that's her husband. So good for him. Yeah, good for him. He's always a gold glover. He knows how to go get one. So. Yeah. Uh, nice, nice job of uh, snatching that one. Nice job of snatching that one. Then yeah, rewatch that. Rewatch the Dalton Connect show again. Another iteration of it, and then watched a full day of NFL Sunday. So all in all, pretty solid weekend. I feel refreshed, ready to take on the week this week, the last week of January. I kind of, um, I'm a little bummed. I didn't watch any of the. Uh, it's because of the time difference. Is the Australian Open because. That was a, a bit of a out-of-nowhere winner, right, this uh, Yannick Sinner? Yeah, I, I didn't watch any of it either, and that's kind of unusual for me. I really enjoy the, the Grand Slams, but just the time change. and Yeah. Typically, like, I would watch 
some of them, you know, before I would come do a show at noon, you'd be able to kind of watch the big matches if you wanted to. And didn't bet on it at all, which didn't drive the interest to watch it. And then, you know, once I saw Djokovic went down, it, it's good for the sport in the sense of maybe you create new stars. But at the same time, it, it makes you maybe be able to skip the the finals if he's, if someone's not chasing history. And that's kind of what happened with me. And I'm sure he had, again, I didn't watch it either, but I'm sure Sinner probably had a pretty solid groundswell of support. Usually the underdog does. And Medvedev's kind of one that people love to hate. There's, you know, he's got some fans, but he's kind of, uh, he's just polarizing. Let's put it that way. So I'm sure there was a, there was a lot for, uh, a lot of love for, for Sinner, as it were. Yeah, he, you know, Medvedev kind of choked that away, right? Medvedev was up 6-3, 6-3, so up yeah. two sets to nothing. And then, yeah, completely gagged it. Completely gagged it. And tough for him because, you know, if, you, if you're if you not Novak Djokovic, if you're not Rafael Nadal at this point, I mean, Nadal may be a little bit over the hill, but, you know, Alcaraz even a bit. Maybe Alcaraz fits more in the Medvedev camp of you got to take advantage and win these tournaments whenever you have a chance to to play in the final against someone not named Djokovic and, and you know, to, to miss that Grand Slam opportunity got to hurt. Um, a buddy of mine, he typically works the U.S. Open in the fall and uh, and shoots courtside. And he was it, – it got me thinking. There was this kid that played – I think he got to the semis in the U.S. Open. He played football at Florida. Do you remember this guy? I forget his name. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have to look him up, but he was just saying because that was kind of the story at the U.S. Open because he came out of nowhere, pulled off an upset again, got to the semis, and then kind of he 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 kind of got dismissed pretty easily in the semis. But big kid, he played like I think he was a quarterback, and he was like a walk on at Florida and for a year yeah, or two, and then I don't really remember that. Um, and and he is like the other thing was his serve was clocked at like you know. A thousand miles an hour. I mean, he was just like he was a. Freak. Is it this Ben Shelton kid? It's Ben Shelton. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. Ben Shelton. I couldn't remember. I knew it was Ben. I couldn't remember the last name. Yeah, he's uh, he's kind of an up and comer. Those are the those are the stories I love when we get into these majors. When somebody just kind of shows up out of nowhere like that. And I guess Sinner was kind of that way yesterday. Have you ever been to a major? Did you take advantage of the U.S. Open at all ever when you lived it? When you lived in New York? <sighs> no, it's yeah. a, that's a bucket list thing. No, I want to go to that. And um, and I was in London like countless times, and probably could have had the chance to go to Wimbledon and never did it, and I could kick myself for that. Um, but yeah, U.S. Open is definitely something I want to see. The conversation fits because going to the Royal Rumble is on my bucket list. And there you go. I also would like to go. My brother and nephew went. I was jealous. I didn't get an invite. Where did they have that? Tampa. Is, Tampa. Down in uh, St. Pete's at the uh, the Ray Stadium, I reckon. And then I have another question I about, the stadium, about yeah, this. I, I probably know the answer, but because uh, it probably doesn't fit their <laughs> their their thing is because uh, obviously Royal Rumble coming up, they kind of as quietly as possible you know vince mcmahon resigns etc did they say anything i mean on the air well this is going to make me sound even more like a nerd uh and this will be the last we talk about it before people are fully on to me but not only do i watch the royal rumble i watch they do a 45 minute press conference afterwards oh wow and i i watch the press conferences and that there'll always be a couple of the performers and then it always Typically ends with uh, Paul Levesque, aka Triple H, aka Vince McMahon's son-in-law, aka the guy who runs it. So he's the you know in charge of creative. Yeah. And 
they asked him a couple times and in sports i don't know if we'd allow this to happen maybe at the same level but he just kept saying hey guys come on we just broke all these records we just had such a big week we've signed a five billion dollar deal i'm gonna focus on the positive and like they're like well did you read the stuff he's like no I didn't read the lawsuit, which I find hard to believe seeing how that's his father-in-law. And, like, I would imagine him and uh, his wife, a.k.a. Vince McMahon's daughter, would have read through those details or at least had the details sent to them. But he's like, nope, didn't see them. You know, basically, like, they asked him another question. Like, hey, we're doing the best. We're doing everything we can to ensure the safety and of our employees. And we want them to have a safe, you know, place to work and blah, blah, blah. Like, said all the right things. But it was like, we're going to focus on the positive. We just broke records and made a bunch of money and... That's what we're going to focus on. We're going to celebrate tonight. So they asked him in the press conference, but he, he kind of sidestepped it. I mean, imagine it's not apples to apples, but Vince was a pretty iconic. It's like if Roger Goodell had some big scandal, sure. it, it would get addressed. Yeah. There's no doubt. Yeah. But now nah, we, we, we just had 20 million people sign up to, to Peacock to watch the Chiefs and, and Dolphins. We're going to celebrate that. So we're going to celebrate all these things. The, the 60 million people that watched the Chiefs last week, so they wouldn't really be able to get away with it, right? Yeah. Exactly. I think three million was the number actually that they got to sign up for the they did yeah. Peacock. Yeah, we'll talk some NFL after the break, some balls after that. We'll do our RTI read and react in hour two, and keep the Tennessee conversation rolling. Stick with us. It is the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Good morning. We have seen a couple of accidents out here up to this point. Uh, it's both. Yeah, I didn't expect to start with tennis and wrestling, but now let's get to let's get to the NFL as the final four. I gotta say, uh, your boy Eli Herskovich cost me a little money. He convinced me that the Ravens were a juggernaut. I agree. After I to- thought all week, like, hey, I'm not going against Patrick Mahomes. I'm not going against Travis Kelsey. I'm not going against Taylor Swift. Give me the Chiefs and the points, and then he, his words just. Echoed in my head all weekend. I listened to another <laughs> podcast where someone was saying similar, and I was like, okay, fine. The Ravens, you're right. I was talking all year about how the Chiefs are frauds, how the Chiefs don't have it. And then the Chiefs went up and down the field twice to start the game, and then that was pretty much the end of the offense. Like, they didn't have to do anything else because the Ravens did what the Ravens do, and they choked. And Lamar Jackson did what Lamar Jackson does, and he lost in the playoffs. It's not a good sign, Sam, whenever they start calling you and comparing you to Joel Embiid, but that's what's happened to Lamar Jackson. I saw the the merger of the pictures where they they put Joel Embiid in Lamar's braids, and it's not a good sign. And then Lamar's hair and uh, Lamar Embiid, not a good thing because that means you're great in the regular season and disappear in the postseason. And it was another instance where Lamar Jackson could not get it done and the Ravens lose, and the Chiefs do what they do, which is win playoff games. If you would have told me that Baltimore's defense would have held Kansas City to 17 points and they still lost, I would have never believed it ahead of the game. Um, I mean, Baltimore's defense in the second half I thought played really well, too. Well, the Chiefs didn't score. Yeah. I mean, it, it was uh, – but you, you nailed it. Lamar was uh, – very disappointing. Got to give a tip of the hat to Steve Spagnolo. I think the defensive game plan, Kansas City just kept throwing stuff at him. And so you saw the differences between Mahomes and Lamar. Lamar yesterday felt like he had a little Joe Milton in him, honestly. I mean, it's like he it was like he couldn't react quick enough to some of the stuff that the KC defense was bringing. Um, 
Steve Spagnuolo is as good as it gets at creating game plans. He's as good as it gets in terms of getting guys off pressure, especially in big moments. You know, he was kind of he was the architect of the Giants defense that that knocked off Todd Brady, right. and you know that kind of made his name. And he's really good. There's a reason the Chiefs have him running their defense because they want to play in these big games and they need to confuse these big time AFC quarterbacks. You know, in the playoffs and. Yeah, Lamar made that really – he made two kind of jaw-dropping plays in the first half. The the touchdown pass where he gets out of a sack, scrambles around, kind of resets, then launches the ball deep down the field for a touchdown. That was awesome. And then, of course, the the pass he ended up catching himself. That was pretty awesome. A, 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 sometimes you'll see the ball get knocked back into the quarterback's hands and they'll just either spike it down or – or maybe get back to the line of scrimmage. Lamar caught it on a dead sprint, and I was like, oh, man, he's about to score a touchdown. He's about to throw an 80-yard touchdown to himself. Instead, just picked up the first down. But the Chiefs did not let that get them rattled. They got them off the field to the very next series of uh, snaps. And that was kind of the story for the Ravens. Close, close. They were close to making plays. Zay Flowers catches a 50-yard bomb. Uh, well, didn't score a touchdown, gets a taunting penalty. Zay Flowers catches a a nice underneath pass that it looks like he's going to score. Instead, he gets stripped at the goal line, and instead of cutting it to a three-point game, it's a touchback, and the Chiefs continue to have a 10-point lead. It was just very frustrating things like that all day for that Baltimore offense. And on the other side, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, they won the game on their first two drives, and then afterwards it's kind of like, yeah, you can't score and put any pressure on us. And when you finally do put a little bit of pressure on us, Third and eight, third and nine, I'm just going to make a play deep down the field and hit Valdez Scantling and end the game. And that's what happened. That first touchdown just reminded us we're watching a legendary duo with Mahomes and Kelsey on that touchdown. I mean, that pass couldn't have gone to anybody else. You know, great touch by by Mahomes and then – this is a hell of a catch by Kelsey, too, because, I mean, it was almost too low. But uh, Well, I mean, it was against the best player that was on Baltimore's yeah. team. Like, Kyle Hamilton right. was all over the place. He was a monster, and, you know, he, he usually shuts down tight ends. Well, that was not the case yesterday because in the playoffs, you talk about the duos, you talk about the legends. Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes prove that they are maybe the best postseason duo of all time, which is crazy to think, but they have the stats to back it up, and – he was disappointing all year to the point where I thought Chiefs fans were going to turn on him, you know, because he had became a celebrity pretty much overnight, you know, since their last Super Bowl. Travis Kelsey has become maybe the, I don't want to say the face of the NFL, because that's not true, but he is maybe the most marketable star, and he was on his way to being that before he started dating the most popular female entertainer in the world. Like, he was already on a lot of those commercials, and his podcast with his brother had gained a lot of attention. And in a league that, quite frankly, likes their white stars to kind of balance out the rest of the roster, Travis Kelsey had kind of became that guy, that go-to guy. And then, like I said, then he started digging Taylor Swift and went to a whole other level. He had a disappointing regular season to the point where you thought maybe he was washed and didn't have it anymore. And you wouldn't have been wrong. But in that first playoff game against the Dolphins, you kind of get the vibe of, oh, okay, so he's going to do the Rob Gronkowski thing where he – coast a little bit and then they take him out of the shop and you see the sports car out on the road and you're like yeah he's still a sports car well Travis Kelsey was as good as ever yesterday I mean he was the best player for the Chiefs 11 catches on 11 targets every time they threw the ball to him he caught it 116 yards and a touchdown and he set the tone early 
with a big catch on fourth down. He went up and got. He scored the touchdown. There was another drive where he had a crazy third down conversion where he's diving to catch the ball after Mahomes is kind of in trouble and flicks it up. Kelsey set the tone for that offense, and like I said, they won it in two drives. I think that uh, the other thing, too, and as I thought about it, I I guess I understood it. There was part of Kelsey that was annoying me because it seems like he was trying to be in a a fight or a trash-talking bout with everybody. But I I think back to it, and I think, you know, Baltimore's approach in there, we saw it a couple of times, was they they were trying to, you know, not literally, but figuratively speaking, murder Kansas City. You know, I mean, they were they were physical, and I think, I guess Kelsey was really trying to fire back, be a leader. Like, no man, we're dogs. I'm, you know, it was, like I said, while it bothered me, it was like I get it. They were they were just trying to make sure they weren't going to get pushed around. Kelsey's got that edge to him. Yeah, he's got that bad boy kind of edge to him. And you know, the the announcers are talking about how Baltimore had let them know, like, hey, we're going to hit Patrick Mahomes when he runs. We're going to try to make him feel it and. They took a couple of cheap shots on Mahomes. You know, they almost clotheslined him. Tony Romo made a, or Jim Nance maybe made a longest yard joke as like, you know, Mahomes got clubbed in the face on a scramble. But it worked because Kelsey did help them steal three points at the end of the first half by getting Baltimore to, Van Noy, I believe, got a personal foul because Kelsey was chirping and Van yeah. Noy came and headbutted him and that kind of jump-started their drive that got them three points before half. And Kansas City... Wanted to be physical, and for lack of a better term, Baltimore wanted a street fight because they wanted to prove how tough they were and kind of set that tone, and they wanted to try to intimidate Kansas City because you do think of Kansas City kind of as a finesse team, at least in the past. This year, they're not a finesse team. This year, they are a grinded out, play defense, and like run the ball and be physical team, and Kelsey kind of set that tone for his team. So I kind of liked it. I understand if you didn't. And if you found it annoying, especially when you combine who it was, you know, in his star level at this point, but I do think Kansas City needed it. And yeah. like him and Trey Smith are the dogs on offense, and Pacheco are like, hey, we're we're tough. Those are about three as uh, tough as they toughest guys they come for their position. And I thought Kansas City was the tougher team against Baltimore, and and that's kind of crazy to say. Nah, I was feeling for Trey. What, he got, like, back-to-back holding calls? Yeah, he cost him a touchdown at the end of the first yeah. half and almost cost him three points, but – Kansas City was able to get just enough yards to hit that field goal. But, yeah, it was bad for Trey. He, he took away two big plays for him. Yeah. And, we, and and he got clubbed at the end of the game on the personal foul <laughs> yeah, where, where Baltimore intentionally gave up a first down. Uh, Queen came and just absolutely laid out Trey Smith. So it wasn't a great game for Trey, but he, he does get to go back to the Super Bowl. That is true. And you talked about Baltimore wanting it to be – it felt like to me Baltimore kind of went away from what – they need they they don't have a fr- a real front line running back, but their running game has always been pretty solid. They didn't run the ball much. I mean, I, I and and Lamar, I didn't feel like Lamar ran much. Honestly, um, it was it, that that kind of confounded me. Yeah, that's a good point because whenever you in your Baltimore and you want to be so tough and you want to be physical, the defense did it. The offense was the opposite. The offense, you know, had an advantage running the ball, and the Chiefs' defense is really good in the secondary and really good at stopping the pass and not so good at stopping the run. And they gave the ball to Gus Edwards three times. He had three carries for 20 yards. Lamar Jackson had eight rushes for 54 yards. And of those, I don't know what the breakdown would even be in terms of design Lamar runs versus scrambles. I thought Lamar... 
thought Lamar looked slow. Like, there was plenty of times in the open field where you're like, okay, he's getting ready to bust one, but just never did. There was a fourth and one where he got to the second level, and you're like, he's about to run away, and instead it's only a 21-yard rush instead of a, a 50- or 60-yard rush. And I know there was a one part on his last drive where he's scrambling, he's running around, and you hear Jim Nance say, uh-oh, here we go, because, you know, Lamar's in the open field and it ends up being like a six-yard run yeah. because he can't get away. And I believe that was the drive actually where he ends up throwing an interception and a triple coverage, so not their last drive. But Lamar didn't look explosive. And he damn sure didn't look good passing the ball. And you can add a number to a pretty bad stat for him when you're looking at his postseason success. He is now 0-4 in the playoffs when his opponents score more than 13 points. Mm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So his wins have been uh, defensive. Not so much uh, being able to, to beat teams that are actually scoring. He is 0-4 against teams that score more than 13 points. Do you think this – I mean, I know there's the debate of it's really just factored into regular season. Do you think, though, that this tarnishes his odds for MVP? No, the voting is all regular season. It, it'll be kind of not quite like when Dirk Nowitzki won MVP after losing in the first round uh, to the Warriors back in 07, you know, where he has to get his – he has to satellite in to accept his MVP trophy <laughs> after being embarrassed. It won't quite be like that because it was the conference championship and it was losing to Patrick Mahomes and kind of the new the new Patriots, you know, the new gold standard in the AFC. But it it's it kind of gives people fuel to be like, "Oh yeah, he's not the MVP." And it, it does kind of make it seem foolish that like it's kind of like Michael Jordan and kind of like LeBron James to an extent, but most of Michael Jordan of you could probably give Patrick Mahomes the MVP every year. Like, I know the Chiefs offense wasn't good, but, like, the, the the Chiefs offense was passable this year because of how great Patrick Mahomes is. And then in the playoffs you get here and it's like, oh, yeah, no, Patrick Mahomes is still going to make all the plays and he's still the best player in the league and he's still the most valuable. But that, that's what I thought was just like. It's like giving the MVP to Carl Malone in the in the late 90s, 97, yeah. and then, like, you know, watching him go up against Jordan and choke. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jordan's making the plays to win. That's what it was watching Mahomes and, and Lamar. To me. Then in the NFC, you somehow I don't I don't know which loss hurt more between Baltimore and the Lions, but the Lions came out and dominated. We're up 17 at halftime, and then it was tied by the end of the third quarter. Uh, a third quarter for he- from hell for the Detroit Lions as they blow that game and San Francisco is able to avoid a pretty bad loss and set up a rematch in the Super Bowl that led to a global pandemic. So what were your takeaways from that game? I Well, we talked about this on Friday. I was feeling pretty good about myself for a minute because I was like, I kind of like the Lions, you know, but they, uh, they basically um, – they were dialed in so early, but I don't know. I, I think that some of uh, – Dan Campbell's gambles, the thing that brought him there, it kind of caught up with him, right? And, I, and I'm and i not criticizing. I just think that sometimes, yeah, that's that's how he plays and that's how he coaches and um, didn't work out. You know, San Francisco just, what a, it was a pretty historic collapse in the, in the third quarter. But, uh, but it was the first conference championship game that someone's blown a 17-point halftime lead. Yeah. So, yeah, it was historic in that regard. Yeah, so – uh, but it was a great game. Um, I think uh, someone in this room might have had the final score. 
correct? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say I went back and I, I was listening to, you know, and I, I kind of, I don't want to say cringe because I, I don't feel any different about it. But I'd said on Friday, like, I really want Dan Campbell to stay aggressive. I want him to be like, this is who we are, and I'm not going to shy away from the moment. And I do feel bad that some people, Captain Hindsight's, are going to say, oh, you should have kicked those field goals. You should have taken those points. Because I had no problem with them going for the fourth downs. I had no problem with them bypassing a 47-yard field goal kicker. Uh, A kicker that's like 78%, I think, from 40 to 49 yards. Like, that's not a gimme. And, and I think on both fourth downs, he had plays that were open. Like, Goff missed a throw on that one, and earlier Josh Reynolds missed a catch. My problem is, like, the Lions just – I don't want to say realize they're, they're the Detroit Lions because that's not fair after the season they had. But Jameer Gibbs fumbling that ball as momentum was slipping away, like, as the game was turning. I don't believe in momentum, but Gibbs fumbling that ball, not great. Um the punt, Gunner, you know, getting down to the one-yard line and just running into the end zone to, to give a touchback. Like, the Josh Reynolds drops, both of them. To me, th- those were bigger plays than than Dan Campbell's decisions. I would agree. I, I thought the two, the, I mean, like almost back-to-back, Those the turning point in that game was, uh, you mentioned Gibbs fumble, but before that, that, that catch by Brandon Ayuk was, yeah. that's that's like, that's iconic. That'll be, you'll see that one for a while, you know. Yeah, it's helmet esque. It's helmet catch esque adjacent. Like it's it's a play that makes you just say, "Oh, this is your moment. This is what. This is how you're supposed to win. This is how it feels." But since you brought it up, Bob, I mean, yeah, you're you're right. Someone did kind of nail the game. <laughs> I don't know if I can get there fully for them to win because I do think Detroit's defense is bad. I, I do think that. I think they got a little bit better when when Garner Johnson got back. But also, I just don't know if they can stop San Francisco enough. I expect the game to be in the 30s. I'm thinking like 34-31 is kind of where I'm at. And San Francisco probably wins that game, but that gives you the Detroit cover and that gives you the over. So if I'm looking at it just from a gambling perspective, that's what I like. I mean, that's pretty good. That's pretty good, Bob. I saw you cutting that this morning when I walked in. Yeah, I had to get here early <laughs> to uh, make sure I sounded smart. There was also I cut out. It could have been a little bit longer because I was like, hey, you know, those long plays that Green Bay didn't score, that's touchdowns against Detroit. And, yeah. you know, Jamison Williams had that long touchdown run. But Detroit's defense couldn't get a stop in the second half. Detroit's defense couldn't get a stop when they had to. And, you know, credit to the 49ers, I guess, for, you know, waking up because that was a terrible first half. And you're like, oh, man, Brock Purdy, this guy, huh, huh. You know, not MVP, maybe not going to be the quarterback for long with the way he had been playing in the postseason. But then the lights switched on for him. and He's out there scrambling, making plays, and, and he's the mobile quarterback from the weekend that was making plays with his legs, not Lamar Jackson. It was Brock Purdy making big third down scrambles. I do, I yeah, I and I do love. I watched after you know you're watching after the game when Purdy's going around talking to people. He sees David Montgomery. They probably I think they played together at Iowa State, and he's just he's such a uh, he's just a flatliner. And I don't mean that as a criticism. He just you know he's he just seems like this moment was not too big for him. He was Mister Irrelevant. It's like it's it's kind of cool seeing someone you know we watch. Kelsey, who's so bombastic in that first game, and then you watch Purdy, they're totally different players, totally different level of magnitude uh, that they have on the league at the moment. But 
I, I guess I kind of give it to Purdy that he kind of came out of nowhere and he still it hasn't changed him. You know what I mean? It doesn't appear to have. With that great analysis, ask me how much money I won on the game yesterday. Zero dollars because your boy Eli Herskovich came and convinced me that the the Baltimore Ravens were going to blow out the Chiefs. So not only did I have Baltimore at the game, and then at halftime I was like, you know what, I'm going to take Baltimore plus five and a half. And Zay Flowers can't hold on to the ball diving into the end zone. Lamar can't get a touchdown throwing in a triple coverage. And then the refs missed a, a clear hold on Isaiah Likely on that third down. To, I couldn't even get a garbage time touchdown. They kick a field goal. So zero dollars. Zero dollars did I make on the Detroit Lions correctly predicted the spo- score. Sam, what were your thoughts from either one of those games? Let's hear from you. Yeah, I mean, I think starting in that in that AFC game, I think it was an unbelievable performance from Spagnola in that defense, like you were saying, Bob. I think they came with a you know a great game plan to stop Lamar and, and had some exotic looks for him in terms of rushes that they brought, and I thought they did a great job of, of containing him and not letting him get loose too much. I thought Lamar was kind of stuck in between, like, deciding whether or not he wanted to run the ball and pass the ball, and I think he was just like, it's that, you know, it's that indecision is wrong decision type of thing. Yeah, you know, I, I made a joke, didn't hit, it made me laugh, after he had that deflected pass that he caught, I was like, oh, Bill, Bill Polian is vindicated because he <laughs> wanted him to, like, come play wide receiver. And then that tweet took on a different life as the game went on because it's like, yeah, Bill Polian maybe was vindicated that Lamar's not a quarterback. And, I, I, you know, that's an extreme take. Obviously, he's MVP and he's a quarterback. But, like, he had a rough game where he just looked he looked, a, he looked two steps slow, not even a step slow. Like, physically, he wasn't fast. But mentally, like you said, he was just playing indecisively. He didn't know if he wanted to just take off and scramble because I'm sure he wants to be like, hey – I can beat you passing, and I'm going to throw the ball down the field. And also just not recognizing where the blitzes were coming from. Mm. You know, he was two steps slow and indecisive, and he didn't play with his instincts, and, you know, that that really hurt his performance. So, yeah, I think that's a good analysis there, Sam, in terms of him just being slow and indecisive and not knowing what he wanted to do because that, that kind of was what killed him. Kansas City did a good job of, you know, having spies on him. Yeah. But still, like, you know, he he's supposed to be able to outrun the spy. They didn't even have Willie Gay, too. Like, that's kind of been that linebacker, and, you know, in this whole season has been kind of that spy linebacker against a mobile quarterback, and, and it wasn't a problem for him. Now, what about in the NFC? Any thoughts on the uh, the Lions and 49ers? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough one for the Lions. I, I think it was an impressive, you know, impressive performance from the Niners to be able to come back and, and you know, kind of take those licks in the first half and, and stay calm and, and respond. You know, I think they've gotten – smacked in the mouth in, in both of their playoff games so far and have been able to respond and, and pull out wins. So I think it's it's obviously a testament to the to the culture that they've got over there in San Francisco and they and they don't blink, you know, when they get in in there and under pressure. But I really thought they were gonna blink. I really thought it was gonna I, be like, oh, like here it. we go, Kyle Shanahan, this is what Kyle Shanahan does and here we go. Can Brock Purdy prove it in the playoffs and he did it. Yeah. 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 I mean I, Detroit Stars played pretty well. Montgomery ran the ball well. St. Brown was awesome. Laporta was awesome. Although Laporta, you know, got a little bit of garbage time at the end to kind of make his stats look better. One of my takeaways was that I thought that Detroit should have – I thought they went away from the run a little bit too much in the second half. Well, yeah. I mean, whatever they did in the second half did not work. Yeah. So, uh, But, like, before before last night, the Lions had gone for fourth and three in plus territory. Fourth and three or less. So, fourth and three, two and one, obviously. Yep. Uh, in plus territory, so that means on the other side of the field, 
they had done it 20 times in 24 opportunities. So, like, they'd had 24 chances to do it, and they did it 20 times. And they converted 17 of those. So far, 2-2 two and two in the playoffs on getting those. So, like, they had been really good at getting those. And they had the plays. It's just they didn't. They didn't capitalize, mm-hmm. and they didn't, you know, get it. And and, and like, <laughs> it's going to be easy to blame Dan Campbell for that. I personally am not going to. I will personally just say he stayed aggressive, he stayed smart, and didn't buckle. And just Goff and and Josh Reynolds kind of let him down. I also respect that he kind of stayed true to what got him there all season. Yeah, you yeah, know, I mean, like I think it would have been different if you know you you always kind of do those fourth down conversions in the regular season then you get to the nfc championship game and you stop i just think that's not their identity yeah to me it would have been way worse to kick that field goal and then not touch the ball again and like the the 49ers either score a touchdown with under a minute left or kick a game-winning field goal of no time left and you're dan campbell wondering like what why did we do that why did we not stay true there was that game against the chargers earlier this year where they bypassed a game-winning field goal with about a minute and 50 left and went for a first down and got it on fourth and two and then kicked the game-winning field goal because that's what they did. And they had plays for it all year long and just didn't capitalize. Go ahead, Bob. Um, no, what I was going to say was uh, if you – I don't know if you all – you might have listened to Campbell's post-game press conference. I appreciate what he said. It's kind of like what you said, Sam. He was like, no, this is what we do. And he was like – and he was the first to say, he goes, it wasn't rooted in any analytics. It's my gut. You know, this is this is how we've rolled all season long. And you're right. I think he was – and he said that. He was like, I, I just don't think that I, I – they're going to – I was assuming they're going to run the clock if they get the ball back. And, and so I, I just wanted to – to try to seize the moment. Yeah, and their kicker's not great either. And I don't know if he's, like, scared to use the word analytics because the analytics did agree. And I would imagine, like, they've told someone in his organization or maybe he himself knows, like, the fourth and shorts are worth it. Like, that is the right analytic play. So maybe he's trying to shy away from that word and just say, hey, I'm doing using my gut because that's easier to defend against the old-school football people. It's so funny, like, the old-school football people want – fire and gut and 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 to go for those plays and trust your instincts and a lot of times for coaches that means like hey go for fourth downs and they're like no don't do that be be scared kick the ball one thing we glossed over um Jawan Jennings made a, a pretty oh, yeah. critical catch it was what I think third and four and it was they were still down 24 7 and um I that guy just we, I know we always talk about that he's he's you know just such a gamer. That was his only catch of the day, but it was a big one. Yeah, exactly. He's just you know two of the maybe the two most beloved balls of the last decade. I mean, maybe you throw Dobbs in there, you throw in Derek Barnett. I mean, there's probably a couple names, but Juwan Jennings, Trey Smith, to me, maybe the two most beloved balls since 2010. Going to be mixing it up in the Super Bowl. As Patrick Mahomes gets back, takes on Brock Purdy. This is a stat I saw, and I'll end this segment with it. In the past 10 seasons, the NFC, do you know how many quarterbacks they've had represent them in the Super Bowl the past 10 seasons? Mm. 10. 10. They've had 10 different quarterbacks every year. There's been somebody new. Nobody in the NFC has been a repeat representative in the Super Bowl. Brock Purdy, Jalen Hurts, Matthew Stafford, Tom Brady, Jimmy G, Jared Goff, Nick Foles, Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, Russell Wilson. God. Russell Wilson went back-to-back in 13 and 14, but that would be the 11th year. 
on the flip side, the AFC, if you wanted to get to their to get to ten different quarterbacks, you have to go all the way back to John Elway in ninety seven, ninety eight. It's been yeah. you know, basically what, eighteen years since you've had to get to uh uh, since you since you could get no, not eighteen years no I did the math wrong that's what twenty six years twenty six years since you uh, have to uh, t- until you get to a tenth quarterback this is Mahomes' fourth appearance of course you know Tom Brady had a whole bunch of them in the AFC Manning a whole bunch of them Roethlisberger three Ryan Tannehill no no not Ryan Tannehill <laughs> not, never hey. a Super Bowl appearance for Ryan Tannehill oh, Super Bowl I thought it was AFC championship no no no, no games. Super Bowl appearance okay, no yeah, no yeah. ten different Super Bowl quarterbacks. And yeah, you have to go back 20, 26 years to get to That's ten crazy, AFC yeah. quarterbacks. And two, and and also Jerry Rice had two records fall yesterday yeah. uh, for what most touchdowns in a season went to McCaffrey, and then most receptions in postseason mm-hmm. to Kelsey. Yeah, yeah. Time marches on for Jerry Rice. It's always good whenever you can beat Jerry Rice records. So uh, absolutely, good, good job by those guys. All right, Sam, send us to break. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Good morning. Looking good right now as far as accidents on the major interstate routes. The Super Bowl is set. Chiefs, 49ers. You said you got a stat you want to give me, Bob? Well, yeah, and I was thinking of both you and Sam, and I guess me too. If you were, like, say your team was in this Super Bowl. Say you were a big Chiefs fan. Say you were a big 49ers fan. I was a big Chiefs fan. (laughs) How much better would sports be if you were a big Chiefs fan, if you stumbled into the new Tom Brady? That's, uh, yeah, my wife is now a Chiefs fan. It's kind of tough for me to. The Taylor Swift effect? Or, oh, yeah. You know, well, yeah. that's good. No, it's good. She likes watching the games. That's good. And, and Taylor's going to take down the AI porn industry while she's at it. Like, she's going to fly back from Japan. Yeah. She's going to time travel and do a concert on Saturday oh, night buddy. and then make it back to Las Vegas. It's still going to be Saturday dinner time. So she's just going to create time travel. <laughs> she's going to take down AI. She's going to win a Super Bowl. She was comfortable with PDA there at the end of the game with Travis. I, I wasn't sure. It, it, i, I got to be honest. I didn't feel a lot of fire in the PDA there. Yeah. Now maybe she was like, hey, we're going to keep it casual. But like I was like, hey, this doesn't feel like two people that are crazy in love. Yeah, feels like two people riding a PR wave is what it felt like to me. I don't know. Maybe I was looking too much into it, but. Go ahead. What's the uh... and there? Yeah, and, and we'll talk later in the show. I've got a segment I want us to talk about with uh, NFL analysts, and because I don't know if you heard about the Tony Romo moment with her after the game. It, it, just another. No, I did not. Just we'll get to it. It's just another weird, awkward thing as usual, where Tony said, you know, she said something like, "I think you're really good at what you do," and he goes, "I think you're better," and she goes, "Well, it's different, isn't it?" <laughs> it was like, you know, it's like anyway. Um, back to my point. If you if you were Wanting to go to the game right now, the big game, the most the aff- big game, the most affordable ticket at the moment in Vegas for the Super Bowl. Well, see, that's the, that's the kicker: is you throw it in Vegas, and it just becomes more expensive to do anything out there. So, right. like, I, I'm going to guess this is going to be a really, really high number here. Yes, upper level seat too, eighty one hundred dollars. That's before fees. So add in another fifteen percent on the fees. Yeah. You're going to be in the nine ninety three ninety four hundred dollar range. Comparatively speaking, so this would have been the first go-round. Uh, I didn't check, I don't think, after the game got finalized, but I do remember that in Miami, whenever the Chiefs and 49ers played the first time, you could have gotten tickets 
around the conference championship level because I was looking. I was going to go with the Titans one for like $4,600, I think was the cheapest ticket. So, yeah, yeah it's almost double. But you would go? To a to a Super Bowl. I had I had a future ticket. I had a hundred dollars to win forty five hundred that okay. the uh, Titans won the AFC. Okay. So I had some money to uh, spend. Like I was going to take that money and just buy tickets. I also had a pretty big future on the Titans to win the Super Bowl that year. So like I was going to but free roll basically down there. But uh, obviously it didn't work out. I think I would have maybe tried to find a way. I, it would if push came to shove. I don't know. You know, like spending six thousand dollars on a trip kind of extreme but i don't know fomo is real and you're right about the the vegas effect too so i mean everything will be expensive out there too so i mean it's you know if you were a super fan you know i don't know how you get out you know if you're getting the ticket i don't know how you get out from that that weekend at less than like twelve thirteen thousand dollars with hotel with food i can't imagine having a kid or like like a wife or something or a husband or a boyfriend or girlfriend that because like you have to buy two tickets like they said that in the kelsey documentary actually like kylie kelsey was talking about bringing those little kids into the super bowl like do you know that this is like 30 grand to bring these guys (laughs) in here like yeah because they were getting they were bringing family and everything it was 50 it was what they said the wife was like like, yeah it's like 50 grand you don't want to go alone you don't want to go alone so like if you if you have somebody you want to take, like, yeah, you have to double those things. And you're like, oh, my God. Like, can you just stay home? And then, and then you got to fight there and stay at home and everything. It's, it's a whole thing. But, yeah, like, you usually have to double those prices because very few people go to the game alone. I guess if you go with your friend, maybe they pick up their tab. But, yeah, that's crazy. And Vegas is going to be a madhouse in two weeks, even more so than usual. And I do wonder how many Swifties make the trip to try to get out there and just be a part of the energy. And, you know, people across the world like going to Las Vegas and they'll want to be there for a big time Super Bowl. So like it's gonna be a it's gonna be a big time event. And, you know, those ticket prices will go down a little bit just because they're at their peak right now, but it's still gonna be a very, very expensive ticket to get in. No doubt. I didn't see the uh the Tony Romo stuff with, with Taylor Swift. Yeah, they were down on the field and you know, <laughs> It's yeah, like I said, there's a lot we'll talk about later in the show, but man, Romo just can't get out of his own way right now. It's crazy. Yeah, Romo went from cool to being a dork pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Pretty quickly. And and to the point where they're talking about like maybe having to find a new team for him and Nance and like doing something and like getting them ready because they're hosting the Super Bowl, right? CBS has a Super Bowl, right? And I, I yeah. saw that CBS was worried about that duo because Romo's been so bad this year. Yeah. But I love, I love again. Taylor's just a pro. The way she handled it, and you could hear the sound her saying, "Well, it's kind of different, though, isn't it?" You know, just kind of smiled and was polite, but was because yeah, his whole thing. I think you're even better. And she was like, I don't "Well, know. yes, I am." Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you saw the Eras tour, but yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. It was nice of her to try to compliment Romo, so right? He, you know how bad she had been, but yeah, very measured. Uh, but, but like I said, if I was dissecting it, I'm not sure how much. How much passion there was in that romantic exchange. But then maybe it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't thing. If she jumps in his arms and, and gives him a big tongue kiss, people are saying they're doing too much and they're being annoying. So maybe maybe she had to play it cool. I don't know. Sam, what did you make of the kiss? Passionate or not? 
I don't know. I mean, I PR plants or not? Are they in love? It didn't seem. I'm kind of with you. It didn't seem like the most the most genuine interaction. Of she all gave time. him a double pat. It really huh? just felt but like she <laughs> ended the hat with a double pat. It just felt on like the, the end out. of a sports movie, like a bad, cringy sports movie. It just felt like the end of that. But wasn't there two kisses? Right? Didn't they did one and then they kind of talked for a second and then they did it again? That's what got me. Was there was two? I thought. There was the like, she went for the hug first, and then he's like gave her a kiss, and then I don't know. I saw the end. She went with a double pat on the back, and that didn't feel like a lover thing. That was like okay, so, well, see you Good later, job, buddy. kid. <laughs> I don't know. I'm off. I'm off to my world tour, and yeah, I'll be back. The NFL's paying me to come help get an extra ten million eyeballs on the Super Bowl. So, poor Usher, he's a big loser in this. Yeah, yeah. Usher, you know, set to do the Super Bowl halftime show, and no one's gonna be talking about him. There's going to be, like, petitioning that she'll, she'll perform instead, and big big loss for Usher. I like Usher, too. Uh, yeah, I saw Usher in Vegas do his show, and it was very good. Usher still can perform really well, and I'm sure he'll put on a good show, but he's he's overshadowed big time. You know who else could perform? Saturday Night Live, did anybody see it? Justin Timberlake was back. I did not. I did not. I did see that he dropped his new song on Friday, so it made sense for him to be there Saturday. But yeah. he, he did a good job performing. He was, yeah, he's he's always good. I think. Yeah, Tennessee's own. Yeah, Tennessee's own. All right, hour one of the books. We'll kick off hour two with some other things you might have missed from the weekend, which is a lot because we've mostly talked football. Sam's got that for you. Stick with us. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio.